Uh, If you don't mind uh, standing up with me, I'm going to read our passage in Scripture today. I don't know if that's necessarily part of the tradition here at this church, but I'd like to honor God's Word here. Uh, And we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 13. We're going to go verses uh, 1 through 9, and then we'll skip over to verse 18 and finish it out there. This is what the Word of the Lord says, that that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him listen. We'll skip on verse 18. It says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, in another thirty. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that is constantly being thrown out there, uh, sown into our hearts. And God, I just pray that we would hear your voice this morning, that beyond this particular passage, beyond the words that I have to say, that we would just hear you and the, and the Spirit of God uh, just pressing on our heart this morning. I just thank you for the, the beautiful time of worship. God, help us to now respond to that uh, in our hearts, with our minds, to be thinkers. God, uh, help us to use our minds critically in this time uh, to invest in what you have to say to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. When I was 16, my uh, best friend Josh and I, we decided to get fake IDs and uh, sneak into a nightclub in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And so if you've ever been to Ann Arbor, uh, the club was called Nectarines. Don't go there. I don't know if it's still there anymore. Some of you guys have probably been there, actually. (laughs) Um, And uh, so he he borrowed his older brother's license. He looked exactly like his older brother. Uh, and uh, he can grow out. He grew out a full beard uh, at age 16. That's just. That, I mean, I was jealous. I'm 38. I'm still working on this right here. <laughs> and I borrowed my friend. Uh, his name is Kay. I borrowed Kay's license. And here's a picture of Kay and I. We have that picture up here. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> that's me at 16, and that's Kay. Kay's probably like eight years older than me. Uh, what's hard to tell is that Kay. That I'm six inches taller than Kay. Uh, and um, so actually you can see a little bit better in the back right there on that, on that screen. Uh, yes, I used to have hair. Uh, and I grew up uh, in Detroit, so that's just how Asian people look like in Detroit. Now, after I'm, I'm looking at this picture and it looks ridiculous, but you know, you know they say all Asians look like? Nah. <laughs> so... Uh, but I memorized everything on his license. And so I went up to the bouncer, 
And uh, so Josh went through, and the guy didn't flinch. Uh, he led Josh through, no big deal. Uh, and then I'm there, and I'm like getting ready to recite Kay's address, Kay's high eye color, you know, license, like number, memorize all of that. And so the, the bouncer looks at the license, he looks at me, he looks at the license, he looks at me, and he says, you ain't Kay. <laughs> and he sends me back outside, and I sit in the car for two hours. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Josh is having a great time. He actually, he, he, it was terrible for him, but so... Sometimes, uh, sometimes uh, an unbelieving world or the, the world outside the church, they'll kind of look at a picture of Jesus or how the Bible talks about Jesus, and they'll look at Christians, they'll look at Jesus, and they'll look at Christians, they'll say, that ain't you. That ain't you. And uh, the process of discipleship or being a passionate follower of Jesus is really about becoming more like Jesus uh, and so that the world can see Jesus in us, see Christ in you. And that really is the biblical foundation for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, today we're going to start a three-week series. Uh, Pastor Kaylin and your team asked me to lead uh, the church through a three-week series on the mission statement of Newcom, which I love, and it's such a beautiful statement. The first time I heard of it uh, was nine years ago when I visited your church for the first time, and it's a fantastic statement. So what I want us to do uh, over the next three weeks is to really just unpack that. And I want to look at it again here. Um, the way that it's phrased, it says that we seek to be a city within a city in alternate Chicago that passionately loves Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on uh, a little bit more today. But also intentionally engages in authentic community and radically advances the cause of Jesus. And so we'll, we'll take three weeks to unpack that. Today we're going to look at what it means to be someone who passionately follows Jesus, but also not just follows Jesus, but looks like Jesus, looks like Christ. The greatest compliment you could ever pay somebody is to imitate them, to, to be like them. The term we use for someone who looks like Christ and uh, acts like Christ is disciple. Yeah, in the broadest sense, a disciple, and the Greek word is mathetes, is a student or a follower of a teacher. In Christianity, if you think of Christianity as a religion, and I know not everybody likes to think of Christianity as a religion, but if you do, uh, disciples are students and Jesus is the teacher. Christians are followers in the kingdom of God. However, keep in mind that there are other descriptions in the Bible to, that talk about Christians. For instance, you are, we are servants, we are citizens, we are ambassadors. Uh, there are other times where we're even called bond servants or slaves of Christ. These are word pictures that are trying to get at something deeper. They're all trying to grasp at a, a more foundational understanding of who we are as people who follow Jesus as disciples of Jesus. That's even more profound. There is an identity. There is a, uh, um, a, a, be, a being about us that's more foundational than just being a disciple or a student or a follower. So what is that foundational aspect of what it means to be you, what it means to be me, a follower of Jesus? The most important thing that you'll ever hear at a church like this or any other church is this, that before you're anything else, you're firstly a beloved child of God that God ferociously pursues at all costs to himself. Most important thing about who you and I are in Christ is before any other thing, missionary, minister, uh, um, mission, uh, um, ambassador, servant, student, before we're any one of those things, 
First and foremost, you are a beloved child of God, and it's so hard for us to grasp that sometimes, that he ferociously, I, I, I like that word ferocious because it's almost like an aggressive going after, but at all costs to himself. Uh, this is the foundation for who we are. So regardless of your background, your upbringing, your orientation, your vocation, God's original intent is to be your dad and for you to be his child. This is true about you because this is true about Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate disciple because Jesus was the ultimate son. Don't let the gender pronouns throw you off, okay? Uh, we, the Bible uses son, but it, there's something that's more underlying, foundational, and important. Uh, there are two things present when Jesus is baptized that I think helps us to understand a little bit more about why this relationship with us and God is more about just serving him, uh, but it's about being in a fathering childlike relationship. And so number one, you see at Jesus' baptism that uh, you see the love of the Father. And then number two, you see the presence of the Holy Spirit manifested um, as God's love for his son. So let's read this passage real quick in Matthew chapter 13, or sorry, 3 verses 16 and 17. And this is describing Jesus' baptized. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from out of the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased before he does any ministry before he does a miracle before he he ever uh, 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 you'd fed four or five thousand people uh, he had the full pleasure of his father and it you know it, it's hard to Growing up in an Asian context, I know this is a joke about Asians, so it, it's hurtful sometimes, though, you know, uh, about how studious we are in the model minority, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, my, my family falls into that category. Uh, you know, we have the doctor, uh, we have the lawyer, and we have the engineer, uh, and so that's, and so for, for those of us who kind of grew up in a culture where, like, if you don't get the grades, or if you don't get the right kind of job, or if you don't get the right kind of vocation, I know it's not an Asian thing, it just happens at a higher level with agents for some reason. If you don't play the violin, some of us understand the pain of that, or the piano, uh, <laughs> then it's, you, you feel displeasure from a parent. But in this particular scene right here, you see God the Father declaring over his son, I'm so proud of you. I'm, I'm just glad that we're in this relationship together. He's disclosing the kind of relationship that they've always had. He's just kind of saying, yeah, this is the relationship we've always had. Walk in this favor. Jesus had perfect support and love from his father. He, think about it this way. Jesus, Jesus never had daddy issues. He, he never felt abandoned. He never felt like he, he didn't have enough to give to other people. Think about that. That Jesus never had a scarcity mentality because he always felt like he had enough that he could give to people because he just knew that there would be more at the end of the day. That even if the vat of wine was empty right now, tomorrow it'd still fill up. That even if the plate was empty or my pocket was empty, that I could still give to others because I know my father's good, he'd take care of me. This is the concept in which Jesus did his ministry. This is how he lived his life. It wasn't ministry for him. It was just being 
a child of God the Father. As a matter of fact, this kind of resonates with some of the things that we understand about child psychology, right? If you, if you read Carl Jung or Jung, however you pronounce that, he talks about this concept of the divine inner child. You remember learning that in psychology? Yeah. Um, and how all of us, you know, have this, well, you know, this is a little bit pop psychology now, but all of us have this child inside of us that needs to be nurtured, nurtured, right? So love the little girl or love the little boy inside of you. So I'm not talking about that necessarily. But there is a bit of a part of us where we all have a base core foundational understanding of who we are. And if that is off by any degree, we begin to live towards the, the offness of that degree in that direction. And the reality is that Jesus has no degree of being off of his core identity. He is right in the center of it. And that's how he lived his life. Jesus is the ultimate disciple because he is the ultimate son. Jesus perfectly, perfectly carried the DNA of the kingdom of God, and the disciple is a protege, a protege of Christ carrying the DNA. Now, the culture does a great job at discipling or influencing us, and that's because the war for discipleship is actually in our minds, and it's not so much out there but it's in our minds, it's in our thinking, it's in our belief structures. We're conditioned to gain uh, knowledge a certain particular way. If you're in, um, again, I'm treading waters that I'm way above my head, but if you're in uh, educational development, you understand that we have learning modalities in the Western world that are just different from other parts of the world. We learn differently, and so this is a part of how we are being influenced and discipled by um, by the culture. Ph philosophers call this epistemology. It's the study of how we know what we know. How do we know what we know? Well, that's epistemology. And one of the most important things that happens in Christian discipleship is that our epistemology changes. The way that we learn and the way that we understand and the way that we come to knowledge, that whole process is completely different than any other process that you experience in the world. That the way that you understand belief structures and uh, philosophy and the reality of the world, that whole process is a completely different epistemology from any Western way of thinking, Eastern way of thinking. Uh, and so all of the old ways of knowing are unprogrammed when you become a follower of Christ. Uh, Jesus knew this very clearly, and that's why he says this very powerful statement that sometimes we misconstru misconstrue from Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. This is what Jesus, his first sermon he ever preached was this, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, oftentimes when you, when you hear the word repent, what, what do you think? If you grew up in the church like me, you, I think you, you learn that repent means to feel sorry about the bad things that you've done, and now I'm going to turn away and stop doing those things so that I can make God happy, or, or some version of that. And that's not a false way to apply the idea of repentance, but repentance is so much deeper than that. The idea of repentance is this, not only change the things that you know, but change the way that you know them. It's a changing of the mind, meta noeo, meta means change, noeo is I know the way that I know. Change the way that you know things, change the way that you think. Don't just think different thoughts, think differently. And so this is Jesus' way that he comes into, uh, into this world and he's saying, you, we need to change the way that you think. Uh, the way that you're processing information, the way that you're processing reality is not going to work. The kingdom of heaven is already here, but you're taking in knowledge through ways in which the kingdom of heaven doesn't break through. You have to take in knowledge in the way that God meant for us to, uh, to be able to understand the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of heaven. And that is literally being in an audible hearing relationship with your father. Right. 
So contrary to, uh, to what uh, people often think um, repentance means, it's not about just knowledge uh, transformation. Jesus says, think different thoughts about life. He says, think differently about life. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to take the, the, the parable that we just read, and uh, we usually call it the parable of four soils. If you grew up, uh, you know, I, I'm getting this picture of coloring sheets uh, being thrown, and there's four boxes, and there's one that's a, a path, and you can tell I grew up in church. <laughs> and um, I want to kind of step away from that, and, and for, those, for those of us who, um, um, uh, you know, are in a university or college setting, um, which is not this group. I hear you come at 11, by the way. This is all the parents. Uh, I want to help you. I want to help serve uh, us to, to kind of transform that picture into uh, thinking about the way that we think, the way that we learn, the way that we process the things of God. How do we process? The soils represent the way that we process uh, the seed. And when, what the seed is, uh, in this parable in verse 18 actually, is anytime you receive a prompting from God about change he wants in your life. Okay. Yeah. So the word, of the, the word of the Lord or the word of God that this passage is talking about isn't just the message of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he rose from the grave three days later so that you'd have victory. It's not just that. The seed of God is actually anytime you have a prompting from God himself and he wants to uh, invoke change in your life and you have to respond to that, okay? That's the context in which we're going to be looking at this. And so that is the seed and the soil is how you respond, the mindset through which you respond. And, uh, verse 23 says this, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and then bears fruit, right? So you receive it. It's like, oh, okay. And then you respond and you bear good fruit. Uh, in one case, 100, another 60, another 30. So um, it, 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 to say it a little bit more sim simply, I think, a disciple uh, is really just anyone who learns to, to hear uh, let's go back real quick because I want you to see it from the text. I'm not making this up. Okay, there you go. So a disciple is really anybody who, uh, who hears the word of God and who understands it or is investigating it. And it's so crucial, especially for those of us who are still a little bit skeptical. You don't know if you're a believer. You don't know if you even want to believe or maybe you grew up believing. You don't know if you believe anymore. So there's an investigation process, understanding it. Uh, and then, but now you make a decision and you actually do something with it, you bear fruit and you yield something. So my definition of a disciple would be this, that a disciple is a, uh, someone who hears God's voice, trusts and obeys it. And at the end of the day, how do we look more like Jesus? Learn to do what he did. He woke up every single morning, Father, what do you want me to do? Are you sure about that? Hey, if you could take this cup away from me, you see that struggle? He's trying to understand God's will, and he says, all right, I'm good, let's do it, and he obeys. If you can do that, you're becoming more like Christ. And so uh, this is what I want us to do uh, is in our lives, using this paradigm of the forest soil, how do you struggle? How do you struggle every time you get a prompting from God and you say, I gotta do something about that? Or maybe God wants to give me something and I really don't want that gift. That gift is too extravagant. Or uh, I thought God was gonna give me something else and he's working with you on that. How do you respond to that? The first mindset is the hard soil. And there's a lot of words here. Uh, you can kind of either read that, tune me out, or listen to me and not read that. Uh, but the hard soil is this. And I'm just kind of giving you a profile of what I think this looks like in, a city, in the city of Chicago. But for those of us who are hard soil minded, uh, you deduce and deconstruct things of God until there's nothing worth believing. 
whatever faith there was before was snatched away long ago. And you're either smart, stubborn, or prideful, afraid to embrace a God that knows you deeply. It's easier to suspend belief than to deal with the reality of sin and unforgiveness in life. You feel threatened at the thought of someone controlling your life. And to that message, Jesus says, repent. And not, not saying, oh, repent, you know, oh, you're a bad, bad person. But, hey, you should probably think differently about this. This is what Jesus is saying, repent. There's actually something else at work. Think differently about the situation. Uh, yes, God is a threat to your current lifestyle, but not to your soul and not to your future. Let God the Father's love steal your heart. And that word steal is such an interesting word for those of us who grew up resisting God, and I'm sure that there's a lot of us here that you, that at the end of the day, you, my testimony is, okay, God, you win, right? It's not like, it's not like you, you went into this and like fully, like at least not me, fully seeking this thing. As a matter of fact, um, Carlton, uh, he, he, he adapted my uh, biography. If he would have included the full biography, he would have said that at, at age 24, uh, I began to step away from faith, and I entered into a, a two-year uh, uh, process in which I was uh, relationally, emotionally, and organizationally disconnecting from Christianity, faith, church, altogether. But there's something about the way that God works with hard soil people where it's kind of like, ah, got you, he stole your heart. And it's like, I couldn't even think my way through this anymore. It wasn't even about being, uh, you know, uh, ascending to a rational belief about God. He just came in and he stole my heart. He's trying to give you life, not control your life. You are his child. There's a sec second group of us who we process things as people who have no roots. We have no roots to process the word of God in our life. You're probably spiritual, but you're not religious. Uh, the Bible doesn't impact you daily. Uh, you like that God is love, but you struggle with the hard teachings of the Bible, so you compromise on the things you don't like about it. Now, here's the reality. Man, we're all there. We all get to parts where I really like this part of the Bible and this other part of the Bible. I'm just kind of like, Let's, can I get another translation? <laughs> Let me make sure I look at right? Uh, and so we all get to this point sometimes. And because of that, it's hard to be vocal about faith in public. Or exactly the opposite, you're actually overtly spiritual to compensate for a shallow faith. The roots aren't deep, and so you feel fragile inside. And so it's either facade or it's this kind of like you're pulling away. And again, Jesus, in talking about repenting, he isn't saying, oh my gosh, get it together. He's not saying that. He's saying, hey, you should probably think about this differently. Like it's not about, it's not about being you know, fundamental, conservative, or anything like that. He says, you probably think about this differently. Trusting the scriptures doesn't make you a fundamentalist in the way that the culture calls you a fundamentalist. Enjoying Jesus in the Bible for yourself only releases you into a deeper understanding of God's love for humanity. His holiness, which some of us struggle with tremendously because his holiness affects our lifestyle uh, decisions. Uh, his holiness is not vengeful and mean. As a matter of fact, if you understand scripture, his holiness becomes the basis in which we can talk about justice in the world. And then there's a third set of conditions or a third mindset that whenever we hear the word of God, God's prompting on our heart, maybe you should think about this and we begin to struggle with that. Our response is usually an unfruitful response because of worry or because of pride in our life. For those of us, and I can easily just say, you know, this is my uh, testimony that I fall in this camp a lot. Uh, 
is you've been a Christian for a while, but you're plagued by guilt. You have more to offer, but you have no energy to give. I just want to do more. I'm so tired. You've made excuses to God and to the body and to yourself, and you're either a really nice person and no one can challenge you, or you're really an angry person and no one can challenge you. Uh, either way, you tend to live above authority. And again, Jesus isn't being mean, and he's not saying that you just really need to change things or get plugged in and just do things or join another Bible study. He's not saying that at all. He's actually saying, no, I, God, think differently. I want, to I want to heal you from this, the rat race of religious rituals. God lovingly says to you, though, slow obedience is no obedience, that no church is perfect, so that can never be our excuse. And then he reminds us, and this is specifically from Luke chapter 15, um, that this is him talking to the older son in the parable of the two sons. Are you guys familiar with this, right? One lives a really crazy lifestyle, and the other lives a really, you know, righteous lifestyle, but he's kind of burned out by it. And the father says to the, the good son, who's kind of burned out by doing all the right decisions, he's saying, hey, let me remind you, everything I have, I've already given to you. Like, I've already depleted everything, and I've given it to you. Uh, it's already all yours. Remember that you're not an orphan fighting for scraps, that you're a child of the king with abundant resources. And then lastly, the fourth way in which we process whenever, time, whenever God gives us something uh, is multiplier, multiplying thinking. Uh, God is, in this particular group, renewing our hearts, and we love people more than we have ever have. And you want to do his will, and you don't know what or where yet, and you're helping where you can, and God is very pleased with that. But you're always thinking to yourself, there's got to be more, though. I think I, think I have more to offer. I think I can do more. And sometimes that more makes you anxious, and you're just kind of like, I don't feel like my, I'm living above potential. And for those of us who feel that way, by the way, this is not scripture. This is just me sitting down with a mentor. Because I remember having this conversation with the mentor, and I said, I just feel like I'm living beneath my potential. And he looked at me, he says, if you say that one more time, Daniel, I'm going to hit you over the head. Now, he's from Texas, so that's how they mentor people, I guess, in Texas. And he says, don't stop thinking about your potential. What has God put in front of you today? And be obedient to it. And so, uh, you're standing on God's word. You're persevering. You're trying to love people, not in your own strength, but through God's. And even to this group, there is a, a call to repentance. Because again, repentance doesn't mean that you've done something sinful. It just means that your belief structures, your epistemology is off. Think differently. Change the way that you're thinking about the situation. Process the word of God, the seed, differently. God's saying, God chose, chooses some people to produce 100, others 60, and others 30. Think about that. In God's sovereignty, some people have 100, uh, some people get 60, and some people get 30. Now, if you're ever the 30, and you're kind of like, I, but I feel like I'm a 60 kind of person, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I feel like, like that, that person's 100, you know? Now, I'm a singer, but I'm not a falsetto singer, <laughs> you know? I'm kind of like a 30 singer, or as Carlton, the team over there, they're like a 100 singer, right? So. I can, I can kind of do like, he is Lord, he is Lord. And then it, some of you guys don't want to know that, so <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, of course you do, okay. Uh, and I can sing on key, but I'm not about to do like, he leadeth me. I mean, I can't I get even do it, right? 
And uh, because in God's eyes, all is good because all is God's, right? That 30, that 60, that 100, it's kind of like, what? that's all relative because it's all God's. He's apportioned it. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm not saying you should think this way, but the problems of people who have 100 are about 100 times bigger than the problems of the people who have 30, okay? And so this is some different ways to kind of think about um, portion and those kinds of things. He will heal you of envy and frustration. Amen. Hallelujah. He will make you a multiplier, but it often starts with just leading one person. Leading one person. You, might, you may be a person who can yield 100, but today, for you, it starts with one person or one group or one assignment. Remember that repentance and growth in your discipleship, like Jesus, happens by experiencing the Father's love for yourself. Jesus, before he does any kind of ministry, any miracles, before he, he, he picks his disciples, he has this encounter with God the Father where he hears both audibly but also in his spirit that this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. And this is the encounter as a person who is uh, a protege of Christ, that if we are going to be passionate followers of him, that these are the experiences that we should expect ourselves, that these encounters with God as a loving father should be a natural occurrence in our lives, or at least one that we uh, ex- come to expect. I was born to parents, again, I said earlier, who were Christian. My parents weren't always Christian, but at age 40, they became Christian. So I, in a sense, grew up in a home that um, was very familiar with the church. Uh, As a child, I made a real decision to follow Christ, but it wasn't until I was 16 that I remember I went to this youth camp. And I grew up kind of rough, I think, inner city Detroit. So I went to this youth camp, and uh, we had, so it was youth camp, and we had a lot of um, uh, uh, gang members go to our youth camp. Now, were they hardcore gang members if they were going to youth camp? I don't know. Uh, but they wore the colors and all that stuff, okay? All right? So uh, to me, they were, they were pretty hardcore because uh, we had curfew and we had weapons checks and all that stuff. It was just the nature of our camp. Uh, welcome to inner city ministry. And uh, so, um, so I remember that night the preacher uh, was preaching. It was a pretty large gathering. And he was, uh, he, he made a, a, uh, a call for, if you're in a gang, to, to, to leave the gang and to, and to, I think he said something to the effect of join God's army or something like that, you know. Um, and I remember seeing uh, 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 gang members going to give up their colors uh, and receiving Christ. And I remember seeing both Bloods and Crips and in, in, in my hood, it was kind of, you know, that was a rivalry. And... Um, and, uh, and I had friends in both sides, and I remember seeing them go up there. And for the first time in my life, I, mean, I was 16, so it was pretty early on in my life, but for the first time in my Christian life, I realized for the first time, God can love gang members? It, I remember it was such an epiphany for me. Like, what? God can love gang members too? Like, uh, and when I started thinking about that, like, I just broke down and started crying. I was like crying, and I was just heaving. And because the message behind God loves gang members is God loves me too. And uh, I remember just crying and weeping, and uh, our, our, one of our camp counselors came over to me. He says, hey, do you want to go to the front too? Uh, I was like, no. He's like, do you have anything you need to confess? I'm like, no. He said, then why are you crying? Because God loves us, you know. <laughs> and so I remember having that, that uh, experience. Um, but, you know, again, uh, 
it was such an emotional thing. And you know, if you're a person who's more a thinker than an emotional person, you, you know, that may sound kind of illegitimate to you. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, like that was just how things break down. You know, uh, no more uh, have I experienced things like that than the last 10 years. Um, about 10, 12 years ago, I was uh, in a uh, in my home church was in Detroit, and we had a special guest speaker. His name is Dr. Sandy Colvin. He's the president of uh, a university called Vision International, and he, I think he's still there. And so Dr. Coven was preaching, and our church is probably about the size, uh, maybe both services combined. And I'm sitting like, uh, let's see, I'm sitting over here, my wife and I, we're probably about, let's see, 12 years ago. So we were about maybe 13 years old. No, we weren't, let's see. <laughs> well, we were, I don't know, 26 or 25 or something like that. This is in a similar uh, uh, season of life when I was getting ready to disconnect from the church and leave. And uh, so he's preaching, preaching, preaching. In the middle of the service, he actually just stops, and then he just looks at us without ever having a previous conversation with us. And he says, um, I know that you guys have been struggling, and God just wants to let you know uh, that you feel restricted here, but he's going to call you to a higher purpose. And then he just goes on preaching. And I couldn't hear anything else he was saying uh, in, in that time because... Uh, in the middle of all of the, the, the kind of craziness, I just know that God had a word for me. And I just, it was, I was so emotional with that because I didn't know, I didn't have a context for those kinds of things. That God would speak to me personally in the midst of a group or a crowd. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's the norm that we look for, but that was my experience at the time. But perhaps one of the, the, the most uh, life-changing experience that I had in terms of a, a fatherhood encounter was when I came on staff at a church um, and um, I was transitioning out of uh, consulting and uh, was the worship and um, uh, young adults pastor at a church. And uh, we had this, um, just this season in which we were diving deep into this concept that you're uh, children of God, that you're no longer orphans, right? Uh, you know, this is probably about 10 years ago uh, before a lot of the popular songs have been written. You know, I'm no longer slaves. I, I, I'm embarrassed to sing now, man, because... <laughs> But, you know, so some of these songs that resonate quite a bit with me, this is probably on the early cusp of some of those concepts, at least in our time. Those concepts have been around since Ephesians chapter 1. Um, but uh, so that was a different message for me because I had always, in, in, a, in, a, in a big way, thought about, you know, being a missionary for God, being a minister for God, being a, uh, you know, a slave, uh, a bondservant to Christ. And that was my primary understanding of who I was, and so we were in a season where we we're delving deep into, no, first and foremost, you're a child of God. You're no longer orphans. You've been adopted, Ephesians chapter 1. And so um, one night, a guy named from the UK, his name is Terry Virgo. He came to our church this November 4th, 2011 on a Friday night. I remember this vividly. And so he came preaching about this. And I remember how the message hit me. It hit me intellectually because I, I, I process things up here before I process it down here. And so I remember processing it with him. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. He talked about the encounter of the love of the Father. And I'm like, I've always heard these things. And, you know, I remember experiencing that at one point. But I also I remember feeling this tension of resisting. Because he talked about some of the things that I was not yet comfortable about, you know. Um, and so he talked about experiences that I wasn't yet comfortable with. And so, but I remember him talking about just having this encounter with God. I was like, yeah, but I've had that before. And so after, the, uh, after his message, uh, he had, um, these were kind of global leaders. And so there was one leader, his name was Robert Lay, a big Brazilian guy. And so he was at the front. And so I came down for prayer. I felt, I felt obligated. It wasn't like an emotional thing. 
I came down for prayer, and uh, Robert Lay just put his big old bare arms around me, and he gave me a big hug, and he just said, Father loves you, Father loves you. And I don't remember feeling anything other than his tight squeeze. Uh, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm driving back to my house, and uh, as I'm sitting in my driveway, I'm just saying, God, I would never resist anything that comes from you. And I would never resist any form of the Holy Spirit that you want to manifest in my life. And that was when it broke through, and it was just like, had I rejected God's gift to me before? Had I been so intellectual about my faith that I was willing to ex uh, reject an experience and encounter with him? And it was almost like that was the permission that I needed. And for about 20 minutes in my car, I was just weeping and, and just thinking and, and had moments in, in that car that I've not been able to experience or, or, or duplicate, but also recover from. And that was this, that I learned in that car moment that when you understand the Father's heart for you, then you'll truly be about the Father's business. The way that you, be about, that you can be about your Father's business is if you have his heart for you. If you understand that he ferociously pursues you at all costs to himself, that becomes your motivation to want to become like his son and to want to be about his business. I mention weeping quite a bit <laughs> because, and again, I, I tend to be a more of a processor. Um, all, of the, all of the gifts that you take, personality gifts, says that I'm more of a, a processor up here. But uh, as I look back, I think about my tears as evidence that God was adopting me. He was bringing me into his family, deeper into my family. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear from Scripture that this concept happens uh, in our lives. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, uh, Apostle Paul writes this. I love this passage. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Remember when Jesus was baptized, what descended upon him? The spirit. You receive the spirit of adoption as sons. Again, don't get caught up by the, the gender pronouns there. By whom we cry. Now, I looked at that word in, in, the, in the Greek, and it's the word cry. <laughs> it's not the word yell. It's not the word shout. It's not the word uh, exclaimed or proclaimed. By whom we sob, by whom we, we groan from inside of us. Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, it, it's like Paul saying, and if we're children, then what? <laughs> then we're heirs of God and we're fellow heirs with Christ. He's like, what? You, you can see he has a mind-blowing moment right here in the scriptures. He's like, if we're children of God, then holy smokes, we're also heirs with him. That the way that God looks at Jesus, that he would look at us at that we get the same portion as him, right? Jesus says this himself in John chapter 17. This is his last prayer that he prays for his disciples in the church before he goes to the cross. Uh, and he prays this towards the end of it. He says, uh, I pray for them so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That the God the Father loves us the same way he loves Jesus. Like, what? <laughs> I made known to them that your name, and I will come to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me would be in them also. 
There is no qualitative or quantitative difference between the way God loves his son and the way God loves you. None. It's all yours in full portion. Some of it hasn't been fully manifested yet. Paul says that some of these things are like riches being kept for us in heaven. But it's begun. And we've been adopted. When you think about verses like this, they can ruin your heart for God and they can ruin your heart for people. The most profound thing about who you are as a disciple is that God the Father loves you in the same way that he loves his own son, Jesus. And he offers you the same spirit and spirit encounter that he gave to his son, Jesus, before he sent him off into ministry missions. That he wants that for you. He's tenaciously given that to you. I want to uh, lead us in a time of prayer and... Um, taking us through these four different mindsets and these four different soils to kind of process where we may be at today in our relationship with God. And the first prayer that I want to lead us through is for those of us who are in that stage and season where we feel like we're multipliers and you feel like, I can do more, God. I'm ready to do more. I'm finally loving people honestly. I'm no longer using people. I'm in a pretty honest place in my life and I just want to do more. If you're okay, I want us to just maybe close our eyes for concentration. And I just want to lead us in a prayer that if it maybe reflects you, you can pray a similar prayer. And God, I'm ready in this season to lead something. I'm ready to be a disciple maker. Um, I'm not forcing you to give me opportunities that I'm not ready for. I'm also not forcing you to give me more um, than uh, the person next to me. But I'm also no longer envious or jealous. I'm just, I'm really curious about what it means to be me in this church. I'm really curious as to what it means to be me in, in your mission. Uh, and I'm open and I'm ready for those experiences. And I just lay myself out. And that's you and our eyes are closed and that's okay. Uh, so nobody's looking. But if you, that's you, just put your hand out in front of you like you're receiving something as if God wants to impart something to you. Like you're ready to receive. You're not resistant to what God is wanting to give to you. And God, I just receive the opportunity when it comes. This is me saying yes. To the next person you send me to love, I won't do it in my own power. I'll do it in yours. Where there's a gap in our community, where there's a gap in our city, If you form me for that gap, I'll say yes and place me there when I don't understand it. Allow me to struggle with you. Allow me to question at times I'm not being irreverent. I'm just trying to get a better grasp of how I fit in. But I lay myself before you. It doesn't matter if I'm a 30 or if I'm a 60 or a 100 multiplier. I'm just saying yes. I'm just saying yes to you. For those of us who are in that third condition uh, where we're unfruitful because of worry or maybe pride, and there's various species of pride, um, various species of worry, God wants to heal you. There's so much healing for you um, that 
the energy that you feel worried about losing, the energy that you've invested in the past and you don't want to be taken advantage of anymore, uh, the hurt that you've experienced, the authority structures that in the past that have been oppressive, that have made you lose trust and faith in leaders. And ultimately, at the end of the day, God is saying that I've given you an older brother in Jesus to walk with you through these different seasons. I love you. Everything I have is yours. But I want you to know in the most gentlest way as possible that if you're slow to obey, that's the same thing as no, no obedience. So let that gently prick your heart. And that's not an unkind word. It's not a mean-spirited word. It's just saying that just pick it up a little bit and go at the speed in which God's calling you. Don't let the, the worry around you, don't let the, the, the lack of information uh, cause anxiousness in you. It will come through. You're waiting for that job, it will come through. You're waiting for that opportunity, that relationship, it will come through, not in the way that you expect it, but in a better way, because it's what God had planned originally. For those of us who struggle, uh, second category, uh, no roots. You, you kind of just don't set roots down. You kind of, that's always been you. That's <clears throat> even your faith feels a bit unsettled. Uh, you like to be a skeptic. You like to be a little bit uh, devil's advocate. Uh, you don't want to seem like you're fully settled on something. Um, and while there's a lot of value and merit in, in those kinds of things, at the end of the day, it's the unsettled spirit that God is trying to get at and God is saying that you will not betray yourself if you settle on him you will never betray who you're supposed to be when you run to the author of your life when you lay roots not in a church not in a place but in a person and lastly to those of us who are hard soil who deduce and deconstruct and we've heard messages time and time again and they just all sound ridiculous and God is so much closer than you think he's not an idea to understand he's not a, a rational subject to study he's a person to encounter and I just ask God that you encounter the lives of those of us who have been resistant to you. And if that's you, just say, Lord, I feel the resistance in my own heart. As far as it's my own resistance, forgive me. As far as it's, it's an external influence, release me. As far as it's you making me to be a quality thinker in this family called the church or the Christian faith, then help me to persevere in my doubts but I receive the seed that you're sowing and I just pray, let it grow. Let it grow. God, thank you for this uh, season that we're in. We're all in. <clears throat> we're always in season. Life is uh, a series of transitions and moments and so we accept it all and I bless uh, Newcom as we learn what it means to be a passionate follower of Christ uh, that first and foremost we would see that first and that before we're, we've been passionately pursuing you, you've always been passionately pursuing us and to that we say thank you
Thank you for being a faithful father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.